Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. Welcome to the second part of my looking back at the last year and the previous uh, episodes published in the catalog. Um, This winter reflections and recommendations uh, moment where I for a month or two now am spending some time looking back while preparing new uh, episodes. Yes, this is second part. Last time we made it uh, until episode eight, where I um, also talked about how I edit this podcast. We're going chronologically. Um, so I assume you listened to part one before this one. It is still January. Um, it's Friday or maybe Saturday evening. I I know it's the weekend. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, my schedule is very... Uh, loopy right now. I don't have many classes. I was supposed to be done in school in December, but uh, was missing a theory course. So I don't have much school. I'm mostly on my own working time now. Um, Just like wrapping up what I'm missing of final credits. Um, And I've been sleeping most of the days and awake in the night, uh, which I kind of like this time of year that there is a an excuse or like that there's no purpose really in being awake in the day um or i guess there is because like the little daylight there is you need to be awake in the middle of the day to catch it but to me it feels like it's a good time of year for my daily rhythm i prefer the night anyway but i have to admit now I think it's almost since I came back to Finland, I have been like on this reverse uh, time schedule. And now I'm kind of starting to miss the daytime a little bit. It has been so many nights that I, yeah, I miss like the concept of eating breakfast and not just lunch or dinner. Uh, and and actually doing things in the daytime. And I also have this weird ingrown conditioning that that even if I know I'm gonna be awake the whole night, I still feel like I shouldn't drink coffee too late in the night if I don't have like work to do or like if I'm working and I know I'm gonna work through the night, then it's fine. But if I'm just like, anyway staying awake then I have this like ingrown thing in the back of my mind that says you shouldn't drink coffee too late even though I know I'm gonna be awake the whole night regardless it's so weird right how these ingrown habits or like should shouldness feeling that's not a real word but um yeah so a good thing about being awake in the daytime is that you can drink more than one cup of coffee before it's too late in the day. Um, Anyway, weekend evening, next round of my 
a chronologic look through previous episodes. Um, this podcast is not as such um, an architecture podcast, but it is a site-specific podcast in a way, um, being that I always go on location. Uh, and as I mentioned in the last uh, episode, that I really try to respect the natural ambient sound of each place, the natural acoustics, so that you can kind of uh, have a better chance of, of imagining that you're in the place. And as you know, if you have listened to any of the episodes, we try to describe the spaces. And and so it's not an architecture podcast, but you do get to experience a lot of different sites and buildings. And some of them are kind of spectacular and like really no uh, honorable mentions in a way um, or like very um, special sites for showing art or, or recording. And this one in episode nine, it's quite a spectacular location uh, with a very particular uh, acoustic soundscape, but also just um, the look of it is like, wow. And, and it affects a lot how how we read the art or how I read the art in there. And we talk about that in the episode. So it's episode nine with Pernille Pilarsen. It's in Copenhagen in Brøndshøj Water Tower which is this old silo water reservoir that is now drained and empty, of course, and is now functioning as a cultural venue uh, where Penelope got to have a pop-up weekend solo exhibition. Um, the reverb is crazy. And again, as I've said before, you really should listen to this podcast with headphones or with some kind of speakers, like even just a Bluetooth speaker or something. But but something that has a little bit of uh, of spatial feeling and a little bit of like bass frequencies um, because otherwise you won't get the full experience of these things. And so this episode is quite, um, it shows or um, hears what how the site also can affect um, how we behave in it uh, while we have the conversation how we perceive ourselves and each other within the, the place. Um, so this place is quite like awe-inspiring in many ways. Uh, it's like you're sitting in this very tall building that looks like something out of uh, a mythical fantasy thing. I don't really know. It's like, looks like you're inside some kind of like uh, castle tower or something it's not old in that way it's like concrete but it has all these pillars and it's very majestic um, and uh, the echo like the the reverb is quite long um, so you feel like you shouldn't shout or be very loud because then your laughter is like traveling through the tower um, so we are like we have being a little bit humbled by the acoustics of the side. Um, also, we're kind of tired, I think, by both of us, as far as I remember. And there was like a funny miscommunication that Panilla had actually already packed down all the works when I came. 
so I mean luckily I had just seen the exhibition like two days before but um, but so we are like talking about works that are not still there like we're like talking about works that have already been disassembled which was an odd situation but you know you gotta work with what you've got um and yeah what is the episode actually about well um it's about panilla's uh solo pop-up exhibition uh, called recreational activities uh wherein she has like repurposed uh, everyday objects uh to try and like well, she has kind of like looked at everyday objects and thought about um, stereotypical connotations, uh, such as like uh, gender, binary gender dynamics um, pertaining to clothing objects, such as uh, male jeans and female bras. And then she has like repurposed these items to create these like um, sculptural uh, entities from them um, to kind of like try and rewrite the narrative or the connotations about them um, and so she talks about some of her techniques with dipping the jeans in like some kind of glue or something so she could shape them and create these like crawling figures uh, to hang around the pillars and walls of the tower um, and I think they look like little goblins or something because I feel like we're in like Lord of the Rings or inside this crazy place. Uh, and then like the bra, she has like turned into candles that are burning around the exhibition. And there are like little Easter eggs of peaches and stuff here and there. Um, and uh, yeah, she describes how she threw these like kind of mundane little artifacts and, and little clues and cues um, tries to explore some of these topics of like uh, sexual dynamics and gender roles and and what these implied aesthetics are for the stereotypical division of these things um, there are also two film works in this exhibition two rather different film works as one just shot with a mobile phone I think uh, about like doing like a, a burnout like wheel burns on the asphalt with your scooter and like and talking about adolescence in the suburb and like pizza culture um, and this like coming of age uh, retro aesthetics from the 90s and uh, noughties with uh, EDM music and suburban uh, scooter culture and stuff like this uh, and then the other video was this like really uh, ambitious production where Penilla had really visioned envisioned uh, something uh, and then put up this whole actual production for it and so she talked about how it felt like to produce and direct uh, this short film with all these like aspects of having a whole crew with cameras and light and smoke in the forest and with a rented horse and things uh, and so like how 
how it feels to have suddenly this kind of professional overview and all these like um, balls in the air that needs to uh, like kind of synchronize. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is a good episode to kind of visualize to myself how I am still learning what active listening means and, and that sometimes my mind drifts a lot and I forget to listen to what people are actually saying and I rather listen to what I want them to be saying in my mind or what I am saying to myself or to them in my brain already a few steps ahead or in another direction and um, I don't always realize that in the moment in the conversation so sometimes it's only when I then listen back and edit the episode that it occurs to me <laughs> that suddenly we are having like two different conversations at the same time or how I will ask people a question and then I don't really listen to the answer and I don't mean to to lose my attention with them um, but it just sometimes it happens uh, because it's not really planned and scripted and so I have to be really focused in the moment and I don't always manage to keep that present uh, focus for like the whole duration especially if I'm tired or if, or if the person I'm talking to is tired there can be many factors um, in this one it's uh, definitely just like uh, different uh, reference points I think so in this uh, film with the horse Penilla is talking about like twilight aesthetics as in like the movie twilight and this this horse has like a dildo strapped to its back and then it's about this whole thing that it might be for the prince and not for the princess and questioning yeah these again these like uh, gender roles Penilla doesn't really want you to want to explain to you what her work is about she wants to just more like lay out some things that she finds humorous or interesting and then allow the audience to read it on her own or, or on on their own so a lot of this is like also my reading of things um but yeah she did talk about like the twilight movies and how they uh, uh still work with this quite stereotypical male female binary uh narrative which is quite relating to like historic vampire lore right so um traditionally with like uh, dracula <clears throat> nosferatu all of this like old school uh traditional uh vampire narrative is quite a christian religious um tale about like female and male sexuality um so Typically, it's a male vampire. It's the male aggressor. He's usually a lot older than the girl. Uh, the girl is very innocent. Um, he then, like, uh, pursues her in the night uh, when she's alone or sleeping, uh, finds her in a vulnerable moment. He penetrates her skin 
and she bleeds and then she is no longer innocent either she dies or she becomes also a vampire and it's then like a dark being suddenly she is like not pure not good anymore uh the opposite of of christian church stuff uh and yeah only religion can repel this like uh evilness like holy water and cr crosses and stuff um so yeah the thing is i haven't really seen that many of the twilight movies and i've never read the books i'm not really uh well acquainted with the twilight universe or storyline but i did see at least the first two ones uh, so i know what panilla means with this like um that it it upholds this like vampire uh narrative about it being a lot about suppressed sexuality like will they won't they and like oh they cannot and and it's just it's so horny it's so like coming of age but abstinence is the only way to survive and and so like long full looks and like uh, uh on like suppressed uh, emotions and and ah uh, but anyway, when Penilla talks about this, uh, seeing as I'm not really into the whole like uh, Twilight happenings, I am much more of a Buffy girl. And so um, my mind went immediately to uh, the Buffy Angel storyline um, from the first few seasons, which for those who don't know, Angel is a vampire, but he has gotten a soul as a gypsy curse at some point. And uh, so he has become like good and remorseful because with a soul, you cannot be evil in the vampire universe of Buffy. And so Buffy and Angel fall in love. And that's okay because he's like, he, he's a soulful vampire and, and he has regret over all the bad he's done. Uh, but if they have sex he becomes like way too happy so like yeah uh, fucking means complete bliss for even just the moment he comes and then um then his soul will like leave again or he will lose his soul again if he experiences true happiness so it means they are also in this super uh unsatisfying relationship because they she's a horny teenager and he's like this super old guy who used to be a complete uh, like ladies guy, but they can never have sex because then he becomes evil again. And apparently Angel is such a wicked vampire that if he becomes evil, he will most surely end the world. Like it will be the end of days and hell will break loose because he will want the full chaos. So yeah. Oh, anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a a branching out, like a bit of a tangent there. I didn't mean to be to be chasing mythical bunnies, but um, what I wanted to say is at one point in this conversation, Penilla talks about the twilight uh, dynamics between Bella and Edward, and I say something like, yeah, wow, they can never have each other because then the world will end, which is really not 
the storyline of Twilight. And I realized that when listening back. And in any case, I'm sorry, I think I spent so long time on this because like it has been a thorn in my ear this whole time since I recorded this episode and realized that I had not responded properly to the vampire conversation and that I felt like we could have had a much better conversation about it if I had kept my focus in my brain for a moment and not started watching the first three series of Buffy's in the back of my mind while talking. Um, So now, with this long-ass side jump in this episode, I, I feel like I have rectified myself now, whew, finally, it has been put in order. Uh, so yeah, uh, quite a lot of humor in Penilla's work. And uh, also she was really, she's an old friend that I hadn't seen in many years. And I kind of randomly saw on Facebook that she had the pop-up exhibition while I was in Copenhagen. And then I showed up without saying anything. So there was the first time we saw each other and like... I don't know, half a decade or more. Um, and that's like often how I sketch schedule these interviews. I just show up to and see people's art and then I'm like, hey, that's cool. Do you want to talk about it? Should I come back in like two days? And usually people say yes. So um, that's how this happened. Anyway, episode 10. I feel like with the time, yeah, that was already 20 minutes just talking about one episode. Uh, so episode 10 with Toivo Heinimäki and Tommy Passanen, football shelter exhibition. This was my first outdoor episode um, because Toivo and Tommy had uh, made this like uh, semi-outdoor uh, pop-up exhibition in this little uh, wooden football shed uh, in the east of Helsinki in this like suburban area by this local football field just this like gravel square where the kids used to play football but I think what they said is that actually now there is like a bigger more proper field maybe that's they go to but this is the kind of place that they would have played growing up um so, you know, it's just this little wooden open shed where people sit and look at the people playing or where they maybe change their shoes and stuff. Um, so normally there's a lot of graffiti and things there, but then Toivon Tommy had like painted the shed and, and hung paintings and photographs and like little sculptural elements and stuff. And so for a weekend they made this like um, self-organized improvised public gallery uh, in this residential area. Um, so yeah, the first outdoor episode and we do have quite a lot of the elements there. There is like the sun is shining, but then it's raining and then we have some thunder. Um, so, uh, quite a nice, like outdoor vibe. Um, and yeah, Toivo has taken photos and Tommy has painted. I mean, I think they both do like both things. I don't really know Toivo, but I I study with Tommy and Tommy photographs and takes photo uh, and paints. But I think for this exhibition, it was like a combination of small paintings from Tommy and and photographs from Toivo. 
So we talk about that, like what to photograph and why and how to select what to hang and how to select together, how to present these different elements that then become this combined uh, collage, collage thing almost. Or, yeah. And also we just talk about like working together as friends and growing up and like uh, doing like art projects in your summer holiday and these outdoor summer exhibitions and stuff. And also what it means to create um, exhibition spaces in unexpected places and, and in these like public residential areas that people just you know, walk their dog every day and then suddenly one day there is like this tiny outdoor gallery there and two days later it's gone again. Um, and what, how it's different for the art to be exhibited in a place like this under these conditions rather than in a gallery space. Because in a gallery people know that they're going to see art and the walls are wide and made for it and it's a very specific kind of place and then this football shed in this place where people live where they don't like expect to find the art but also where it's not like there's only the natural lighting and and nobody's guarding it at night and yeah um so a cute conversation about that then there is episode 11 with Ostaritutkimuxia which is a long Finnish word meaning shopping mall investigations um, which uh, was a really interesting uh, enduring uh, research project by Sala Valle and Mina Poyolainen um, and it's quite relevant to the last episode in this way that this is also exploring like suburban areas of Helsinki and like how they are changing now times are changing and and how city planning is and things and renovations and upgrading or up leveling i'm saying that with like citation marks in the air um so the shopping mall investigations focused on the history and future of these old shopping arcades so these little local situations where there would be like a few shops and maybe a pizzeria or a bar cafe um so partly like small shopping clusters of like a flower shop and a supermarket and a kiosk and whatever things like this um but then also quite like local areas where residents of like suburban areas that didn't really have a lot of like public venues or areas that they could gather in that that these shopping arcades or little like clusters of of shops have also offered like a meeting point um and so a lot of these which i guess most of them are built somewhere between like the 40s and the 70s or something that they are from this time 50s 60s maybe a lot of them um and they're now being torn down so even the ones that were built in like 60s 70s a lot of them are now being torn down which is from an architectural point of view and and like trying to be sustainable with resources and stuff then it's insane to to tear down things after such a short lifespan 
but also what is being built instead of a lot of these are like larger shopping malls. There's like a weird amount of very large shopping centers in Helsinki, uh, considering that there are not that many people here. And there are several of the shopping malls that have like big 24-7 supermarkets and stuff open every night. And it's so strange because nobody really, there are not that many people shopping at night here. I mean, I think it's amazing because I like to be awake at night and then you can just go and do your grocery shopping at like 4 a.m. Such a luxury. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to have all these big buildings uh, with light and personnel and stuff. Um, So we talk about this like at the, the lost suburban dream and how capitalism has changed uh, in the last 50, 60 years. Um, and so what Sala and Mina did was that they they researched this for a long time, taking photos around old shopping arcades, researching like how how many of them were still active and stuff and, um, and writing notes and and collecting materials for like a publication, which has now later, they have published a book with their research. Um, But I visited them in uh, Kornala, which is like a a northern suburb of Helsinki, uh, where they had rented this old dental clinic in a shopping arcade um, and turned it into like a makeshift gallery for I think one month maybe. So they curated a group exhibition um, with works made for the occasion, responding to this research and to the site. And and then they had like different events, like architectural walks and um, me and my video curator collective Kino Club were invited to like host a screening event there. So we're doing this interview on the day of the screening event where we then like curated a selection of international art short films pertaining to the theme of city development and and other like architectural or shopping wise uh, areas uh, so yeah I visit them here they walk us through the exhibition we talk about like how they it's their first time like curating an exhibition like this what it means like to be in the same research project for such a long time we talk about the actual shopping arcade because it was still functional so like um they had been collaborating with the local vendors there so the pizza the pizzeria um had like collaborated with one of the artists about some artworks um, with like doing screen printing on pizza boxes for instance so during the month like the pizzeria would sell like pizzas in these art one-of-a-kind art boxes and uh, they had a video work I think in the pizzeria and then the karaoke bar next door um, we went there to have like after party after the screening and a lot of it was really wonderful during the screening we were sitting in this like outdoor semi overcovered. Uh, outdoor arcade place and and screening films in the window of the of the dental clinic um sitting on these stairs across from the the dental shop and then people were ordering pizzas throughout 
the screening. So the pizza guys would come out and like serve pizzas outdoors during the screening in these art boxes and um, all of the, the karaoke local like regulars there, they came in and out and like watched some films, went back in for a beer, came out again. And we had some uh, dancers doing like uh, a performance where they were like responding to the side. Really wonderful. Um, so yeah, a nice talk about a lot of different things. Um, and I think it was just a really nice project. And I, I am, it's always quite exciting when people um, work with the same topic for a long time, but do it in like different methods. And so we, we talk a bit about these different stages and different methods that they have worked through. Uh, there will be, by the way, future episodes coming up about Kino Club. So there will be a lot more delving into that. Uh, but there are multiple of my guests who are current or former Kino Club members like Vanity Salonen, uh, Pavel Rotz, uh, Paula Fernanda Guzman Figueroa. Oh, I, I don't know if I can remember more right now. Oh, Natalia Seifert Eliasson. And then now, later here in the spring, there will be this whole little like series arc of multiple episodes about Kino Club and this one exhibition uh, that Kino Club organized and curated uh, last year. But so far, then this the Ostari Tutkimuxia episode is the one that talks the most about Kino Club so far uh, and explains what it means that we do these curated screening events. Okay. Episode 12 with Lotta Hurnanen. Uh, Lotta is also a classmate of mine, uh, mainly working with photography in many different ways. Uh, and so this is what this episode is about. Uh, the episode is called Film Soup and Farming. Film soup or film cooking is this uh, technique or like a a headline for a multitude of techniques that basically just means how to fuck up your film uh, like film as in analog camera film or or analog video film uh, or like you know 16 millimeter 8 millimeter this you could also cook that kind of film but we're talking mainly about uh, photo film so just like normal 35 millimeter I think is what Lotta has been working with here and so uh, we're visiting some of uh, the outdoor spots uh, in Helsinki where Lotta has been working. Um, so we sit in this little like uh, row of trees next to the highway uh, where there is this little uh, creek or brook of like a little stream of water and some weird like bubbly water in the middle of the trees. I don't really know. Uh, but um, Lotta there for her bachelor thesis work um, took some landscape photographs of the area and then uh, the film rolls after they were shot she put them into the water there like tied them so that they wouldn't run loose and wash away I guess but then she like left them in this water I don't know for how long like maybe a week or several weeks I think uh, and then she came back and retrieved her films and then like cleaned them and exposed them 
Um, she has done other projects where she has uh, put in, put her films like inside compost piles and like let them compost for a while. Um, and so this is one way of doing this, like uh, manipulating your film. This is kind of like collaborating with natural forces. Um, because of course in a compost pile, like a lot of like, well, some biochemistry is happening, but also some heat and stuff. And in the water, I don't know, a lot of different things can happen there, I guess. You can also do things like put vinegar or other kinds of like household chemicals in in your film, like let it soak in something or put it in the dishwasher, uh, put it like in a bucket of of detergent in some kind of way or soap. All of these things can be ways, uh, I guess you can also literally boil them. Maybe that's where the film cooking comes from, to boil them with chemicals and stuff. So all of these things, they make your film like kind of destroyed, kind of broken, but you can still develop it. So what it does is that it changes the chemical and physical emulsion of the film. And so you end up often with these very psychedelic abstract uh, images. Um, so in Lotta's case here, we are looking at some of her these landscape photographs where you can still kind of see the trees in the nature but then like the colors and the shapes and everything has been blurred and and turned into these very psychedelic colors um so we talk a bit about about that um and other kind of like photo techniques where Lotta has been collaborating with nature like um one project she once did where, where she made cyanotype uh on big pieces of fabric um, with snow or ice and so like taking natural silhouette photos uh, outside in the winter of the snow and the ice as it was melting um, but also Lata is a gardener at this point she was studying to be a gardener and to be an artist at the same time because in Finland you can just do multiple educations simultaneously so some people are in several universities full time at the same time I don't really understand how they do it. It's very impressive. Um, but yeah. Um, so Lotta is telling me about studying in gardening school and studying in art school and how she is now during this time realizing that maybe she would rather work with like soil and produce and kind of like create food rather than create just art or maybe try to combine it so she tells about like her five-year ten-year plan and and her dream of like having a farm in the countryside and like what it means to we talk about like nourishing people like cultural nourishment or food nourishment um and we visit this like community garden and lotta tells a bit about that and growing uh vegetables there it's one of these conversations where afterwards we both felt like there could have been so much more we could have talked about. But then again, in the moment, you can't talk about everything. And so sometimes the conversations are also just like casually flowing without that much of a uh, a purpose necessarily, other than just like to be in a place and talk about it. Episode 13 with Trina Trash, Music and Poetry. 
Trina Trash is a friend of mine in Copenhagen. Um, Trina is a musician and poet and performance artist. And she has dedicated her life to this kind of career um, since many years. Um, so she talks about like how her work week looks and like all her different projects and all her different bands and uh, uh, we talk about life on the stage life on the road uh, what it means like to be a full-time artist in a field where you're not guaranteed work uh, and you often have to be like constantly active to have some sort of like steady income um, and then how the pandemic changed that kind of lifestyle and situation and the challenges that then came and what it means to to play concerts for people sitting down or not be able to play. Um, we also talk very philosophically about poetry, what that is and why we need it. And um, we talk about dogs because uh, Trina doesn't have kids, but she does have a dog. Vincent the dog um, and so yeah this is just a very casual late night talk with a friend that started as I, I had asked Trina if, if she wanted to do this and she said yeah and I came to visit her late at night and we had a beer or a glass of wine or something and when I arrived she was like babe what is it we are going to do I was <laughs> like, well, it's this podcast, but it's wonderful. Trina said yes, even without fully understanding what it was that was happening. And and sometimes that is how people, they just say yes to talk to me because they know me and they want to hang out. And I think that is wonderful. Um, so my mom asked me recently if I had any favorite episodes or favorite conversations. And I don't as such, but of course, if... If I talk to someone who is very relaxed with talking about themselves and have a lot to say and are very like performative in their conversation, then it's really easy to have this um, very fun uh, talk about things. I also enjoy the serious talks and I also enjoy talking to people who are still figuring things out and and realizing stuff during the conversations. But with someone like Trine, it's someone who is really well versed within their own career and their own um, persona in it. And also it's a quite close friend. So it's definitely one of these conversations that that has a lot of uh, just banter and laughter. And like Trina has a, an, an even more foul mouth than me. I feel like I swear quite a lot on this podcast. Maybe not as much as I do in reality, but, but I don't censor my language Trina definitely does not and uh, yeah we talk also about a bit what it means to be Trina Trash which is this kind of like persona that alter ego that she invented for herself at some point in her career um, or like somehow it overtook her and she just became Trina Trash and so we talk a bit about what it means to to be locally known under your like artist moniker and that how this persona kind of becomes your personality and your life and what it means to to live your alter ego existence um and to kind of like decide that it, to inhabit that 
and, and just claim it and, and go with it. Also, I asked Trina to play on the piano for us. We look at uh, some of her instruments and and she plays the accordion, the flute a bit. No, not an accordion. Accordion is something different. A recorder, she calls it, like Blockflöte in Danish. Um, so she plays a bit of flute for us, but also I asked her to play and sing on the piano. And uh, she wasn't really prepared for that. So she was like uh, giving me a lot of like, disgruntled faces while accepting to do it anyway because she's cool but she was a bit like ah it's late in the night I've smoked a lot of cigarettes uh, I didn't know I was gonna sing on the podcast but I think the result was really wonderful and yeah Trina is such a performer that she is always ready even if she didn't really want to <laughs> and then episode 14 because this is while I was in Copenhagen for some holidays. Sometimes when I'm home, I bring the recorder and and then like get some good talks in there while I'm there. Um, so for episode 14, in the same week here as I talked to Trine, I visit Kim Klevin, which is a friend of mine who works with um, drawing, illustrations, and he makes tattoos, not in a shop like I think he's just self-taught and so he just tattoos out of his home or like in other people's homes so it's not if there are any professional tattoo artists listening out there it might not be above board all of this but it's uh it's a diy uh, platform and we talk about tattoos and drawings while kim is tattooing my arm so it was a bit of a an experiment to see if we could keep focus both of us while uh, engaging in this uh, live action activity and so we talk a bit about like the physical aspects of of tattoos like the pain and uh kim explains like uh, some of the terms and some of the like risks and and what it means like when a line is not proper and how skin is different that like some skin is easier to tattoo than other skin and you can't really know people just have different skin um and we talk about what it means to have permanent art on your body and what it means to put permanent art on other people's bodies um and how you should deal with it if you regret some of this art that you have adorned yourself with which is kind of what we're doing in my arm that uh kim is like not covering up a tattoo, but like um, kind of adding a tattoo on top of one of my other tattoos. And so we talk about how to acknowledge your past uh, aesthetics or decisions and and respect them, but still like uh, change them to fit your current ideas or or um, desires. Um, we also look through. Kim's uh, notebook of uh, sketches uh, so Kim makes a lot of these like weird morphed animals very like uh, trashy post-apocalyptic I don't really know how to <laughs> how to say it but a lot of them live in this like wild universe I think and so we look through some of his characters and drawings and talk about uh, how he comes up with these uh, mutated doomsday 
personalities and um we talk about like working as an illustrator uh to be hired for like making posters or record covers or things for other people's art or other people's events and then what it means to to work on commission in this way yes uh then episode 15 in the same week also in copenhagen with michelle winkler vj and stage production um so michelle is part of uh hackstage uh, media art collective in copenhagen which is an a fluid a group of uh video media artists and and people working with stage production um so these guys they do kind of everything from underground uh self-organized raves and and festivals to very large uh, stage productions internationally or um even commercial advertisement and video so they are a group of people who know all kinds of like software uh skills and and media uh, animation 3d uh, but also they can do these full stage solutions with set design uh and like sound and lights and visuals for for raves for instance um here i meet michelle uh in freetown christiania in copenhagen so we also talk a bit about this little strange hippie village where i also used to work and we meet in uh, the old cinema slash theater uh called city lights or Lüs in danish and uh the reason why we're there is because at the time michelle was part of this uh cabaret uh performance called maskefell um which was this like uh, multidisciplinary multimedia cabaret theater uh, music performance um and michelle was doing like video visual uh, art part of the set design and so we talk a bit about about that how to work collaboratively first of all in your regular collective with people that you always work with and are like this uh, ingrown team but then also what it means to suddenly work as this like freelance artist uh, in another assembled crew of people and how theater is different from party uh, productions and Michel talks us a bit about like his technical projector setup and what software he has used and talks a bit about using AI uh, as like a way to create visuals so yeah a bit of hardware rigging uh considerations a bit of like tech insight into into his uh, animation uh, and video procedures and episode 16 for ama party decor uh, another local legend this is really like these four episodes in a row there are quite some characters in copenhagen all of them a lot of people in copenhagen will know who these people are i guess not like everyone but you know within certain environments of people then like they are kind of like 
local characters or local legends, all of them in their own way. Um, so for Ama, uh, hosts me for like another late night visit in her um, studio workspace, which is in the same place that she lives or like in the same area where she lives in Amma in Copenhagen um, and for Amma she does a lot of like party design in the way that she does the decorations and um, like the spatial design of parties but also like costume design if the crew should wear like thematic something or just like the aesthetic uh designing of a space of a party of course in collaboration with lights and vjs and everything but fama does a lot of like sculptural set design and furniture installations and and all these kind of like aesthetic uh solutions um so we talk about working in festive environments i mean same as with michelle it's in that conversation we also talked a lot about working at parties and late nights and long rave hours and and so with Fuama we talk about what does it mean when your installation art is not in a gallery but is at a rave um, or in a big party. I mean Fuama also does commercial things like retail uh, installations um, like yeah you know shops or restaurants or, or bars they also sometimes want these like installation art solutions and decorations so she also does stuff like that but a lot of what she has really made her career in is is this like a party design uh, largely for coma club in many years that's where i know fama from um so we talk about like the difference to uh working within this kind of like high-paced environment you know first of all your audience is intoxicated Secondly, a lot is happening in the room. So in a gallery, everything is super quiet. The walls are wide. The space is usually empty. So that means whatever you put in there will become part of your art or like will be looked at as if it's maybe significant. So people can see the details a lot and uh, you can work in very small, uh, careful scale. At a party, you can't really do that because if what you're doing is not big enough or like, convincing enough it kind of drowns um because there's like lasers strobe lights loud music bar cues djs drunk people dancing people are on drugs you know it's like it's a really chaotic environment so what you need to do with your work there is that you need to like make an effect things need to have a like a larger effect but it also means that no one sees the mistakes and like uh, the unfinished uh, like you can work faster and with bigger arm movements because when the music is playing no one will look at the details and so it's a really different way of working um, and it's a different way of like uh, looking at a space and and looking at installation art in a space Fuama is not a fine artist, um, so she doesn't work in galleries. But, but for me, I have done similar. I have done a lot of like festival uh, installations of like light sculptures or interactive art installations and, and spatial design um, for like outdoor festivals or party situations. Um, 
So it is it is a different way of meeting the audience. Like they don't know that they're going to meet your art, but they're super ready for whatever kind of adventure that is that they stumble upon. So also like the space can be like considered as this big interactive participatory art space. So we also talk about that, understanding the party as a social installation and how you need to understand the behavior within that space to design it well. And we talk a bit about like uh, like nightlife in general, a bit about like some of the Copenhagen nightlife that we know each other from and where Fuama operates. Um, and then Fuama tells about how this was a job that she kind of invented for herself. So she she kind of just thought this would be fun. I think I would be good at it. No one has really expressed a need for it. Uh, but if I maybe just show them that they would like it, uh, then I will create a need for myself in an industry. And then I can create an offer based on that need. So Fuama um, kind of invented also this alter ego work persona for herself or like she kind of just like invented her own job um of course this kind of like creative deco job is not a new invention but she definitely made like a a, a, a platform for herself in some way and so she talks us a bit about like how she prepares professionally for like uh, making a pitch for someone for instance um her like uh, systematic and like practical procedures um, and uh, we talk a bit about like how she has found someone to collaborate with and yeah how sometimes this like creating a career that fits your lifestyle is is the right way to go if if that is the environment that you actually enjoy working in um and then she talks a bit about like how she is now branching into very commercial uh, levels of what she calls uh, brand management uh, and uh, what that means and how you can make big money on some of this. So yeah, good conversation about visual identity and what that means. Um, oh, and also if you don't know for Ama's real name, then... Uh, it is disclosed in this episode. So episode 17 with Owen O'Dowd, Irish folklore. Um, Owen is an Irish artist and musician uh, living here in Helsinki. So in this episode, I visit him for his solo exhibition in Asbestos Art Space, which is a, an artist-run gallery here in Helsinki. Well, I don't really know what medium to claim this under because it's kind of like Owen works with a lot of different techniques and methods. Uh, so he had done some like etching on like metal or copper plates that he had like sourced from this factory that he works in. And there's like a lot big element of like installation art and and somehow like 2D works on the wall but then also like spatial installation that makes it almost sculptural um and he had done some like uh collage works uh with like uh cutting up images and like creating new images from them 
there was a video piece, this like abstract visual thing and some sound. Um, and I know that he sometimes works more with like noise music and music and sound and, and more with like video and visuals. But for this exhibition, it was not um, the most dominating element. And then there was this like uh, sculptural traditional hat, straw hat. No, that's not what it's called. Uh, he talks a lot about like Irish uh, culture being a mix of heathen, like uh, um, mythic pagan traditions and rituals, and then how it has been mixed with uh, Christianity and Catholicism. And so that a lot of like Irish folklore culture now is this like mix of religions and, and um, mythical uh, imagery and and so he talks about both of those inspiration points and both of those like uh, parts of his cultural DNA and he talks about how Irish people are still uh, upholding some of these traditions and, and Irish pop culture and he shows this like hat of like hay or straw or something that he has made that is a thing for Halloween where where they put them on their heads and walk around town and sing. There's a lot of singing in this like Irish culture. So also he has this group of Irish lads that he plays this like sport thing with but then they also sing together. They have like this folk jam band and so I visit also Mustakisa bar where they had this um, monthly jam night um so there's a bit of like recordings from from one of those evenings where they go and then they just sit the whole night and play different instruments and sing all these like old uh irish and english folk songs and gaelic songs and and then everyone can can sing along and jam with them if you bring an instrument so quite nice and like not super finnish that i mean karaoke is a really big thing in finland but not this kind of like folk jam in the bar. It's a different vibe. So yeah, I mean, we do talk about this exhibition, which he called Behind the Walls, Tickling the Bricks. But we also just talk a lot about all of this like Irish history and and traditions. And yeah, I think Owen has told me at one point that there are more Irish people outside of Ireland than in Ireland. Like for many reasons, it has been a very nomadic people. So maybe all of these traditions live within people because so many of them are away from home through generations. And so they hold on to it. I don't know. We also talk about like what it means to grow up in a Catholic country and, and some of the like religious oppression that comes uh, as part of your cultural upbringing with that. There are a lot of my episodes that are conversations with expats. Um, even though all of my conversations so far have been recorded in Helsinki or Copenhagen, it's a very international uh, gallery of people. And so most of them live in these places. Uh, some of them only temporarily as exchange students but someone like Owen is living here permanently with a Finnish partner so a lot of these conversations and people's art and and what they kind of like think about and work with is sometimes about like displacement or um, 
cultural differences or like kind of keeping connection to your home in some one way or the other or um, like redefining yourself within a new setting a new culture uh, so these are common themes that often come up things like belonging uh, and and what is your essence and what is your like cultural history and and sometimes it can be interesting to see these things in the backdrop of another country so yeah a nice nice conversation i have interviewed own before he's really good at talking about his work and and telling stories um i think we can do one more episode maybe one or two episode 18 with Hilda Kara and Philip Lernhammer drawings <clears throat> now some of these episodes have these very short uh, simplified uh, headlines like drawings or light or sound art uh, but uh, do not think that they are boring or simple for that matter um I mean, we do just basically talk about drawings for like two hours in this conversation, but it's a really great conversation about drawings and like all these aspects of what it means to draw that maybe you don't consider if you don't yourself practice drawing as a regular thing. Um, so Philip and Hilda, they show me a selection of drawings from this previous duo exhibition that they made together called Outside Was a Circle, uh, where they presented, um, I think, like almost 80 drawings in total, um, like each of their drawings, but, but presented as this one big uh, collage uh, installation. And uh, I didn't manage to see the exhibition for multiple reasons. Um, uh, but we meet in Hilda's uh, workspace in east of Helsinki in this uh, old industrial, like, uh, what is it called? This kind of like, it's not a car park, but it's this kind of like industrial uh, area where there are like multiple big workshops or big industrial places. I don't really know what to call it. Uh, but there, Hilda had a workspace at the time, and so they brought a selection of these drawings to show me. And so we look at their drawings, we talk about them, explain, of course, what we are looking at. We talk about how they come up with them, like how they invent these characters or situations. Um, Hilda has worked with film before, so talking about how how drawing can be a moment way to like capture a moment of a film that is playing in your head kind of like it's almost like a still from a film but from a fictional film that you invented yourself and then if you don't like this explain what is happening on it and it's maybe it's fairly minimalistic or since it is just a still then when people look at it maybe it's a completely different movie that's playing in their head when they look at it um they might not see the same scene that you're seeing and what kind of um, conversations or like how many different lives this one drawing can then somehow have. Um, 
we also talk about like choice of color or not and what kind of pencils to draw with and what kind of notebook to draw in and what you do when you fill the whole notebook and you want to exhibit the drawings and you have to rip them out the pages and like what is the emotional aspect of of this um and then what does it do to the drawings to move like from a notebook to frames and to frame or not to frame is a question and uh, how to choose how to hang the all of these drawings in a gallery if you have like 80 drawings how are you gonna put them next to each other in the gallery um and then uh i mean all of these funny conversations about drawing in bed and then like all this like colored powder from the pencils everywhere and and little like practical uh aspects but also we talk about funding because um Hilda and Philip are both Swedish uh affiliated um so they had gotten funding because there's this thing in Finland uh, uh that um it used to be under Swedish colony rule, kind of. The Swedes kind of built modern civilization here. Um, and so with the civil war and stuff, it was like the East and the West. And um, there are now two official mother tongues in Finland. So Swedish and Finnish. Only about 5% of the population is uh, has Swedish as their actual mother tongue. But there is a lot of like political controversy about how the Swedish uh, families here and stuff sit on a lot of like power and politics and money and things um, like not just historically, but also how this has kind of survived into areas like the art world that is generally built on like a really weird, crooked financial system. Um, <clears throat> so Philip and Hilda had managed to get like um, Swedish funding for being like a <clears throat> Swedish artist in Finland. So we talk about a little bit about this, this topic and um, yeah, maybe that's all I need to, to say about this episode. Yeah, I think I will end it here because then for the next round, there will be several episodes in a row that talks about different works and, and um, situations pertaining to performance and stage productions and, and um, dance. And so I think it's nice to group those together next time. And also my, my voice is uh, running out a little bit. When it's only me talking, it's, it's, I use it up quicker. So yeah. That was 10 episodes in this round. I think that's enough for you to now scroll back. Maybe you want to listen to some of them before you listen to the next round of reflections. It's going to take a little while to get through all this, but I, I, I don't know. I think it might be more interesting to listen to it in this way where I don't like rush through, but actually take time to talk about things and, and really reflects um so yeah thanks for listening as always i hope there was something that tickled you in some way that you that you want to go and listen to now bye
Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.